from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am one of your many hosts to the show. Uh, to my virtual right, G-Chan, Gretchen Brooks, and David Heath, Farmer Dave, David Heath. How's it going this week, everyone? It's going pretty good. It, it's I'm, well. It's a I'm ready hot. for hot weather to be done, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I am. I'm so tired of sweating through shirts and having to change them out like four or five times. <laughs> How are the goats, David? Um, hungry. <laughs> Would you say that we are legion because we are many? I mean, I, yeah. Uh, uh? yeah. 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 No, we're shit <laughs> ton. Uh, to uh, quote another movie, but <laughs> yeah, no, we are definitely legion between Dave and the goats and Roy the rooster, Thomas the cat, you know, Gretchen. I don't know who you have lurking around in the background. My cat bang, my cat bang bang. And I have at least five, six big old spiders in the studio. Uh, I do have two spiders. I, I have two tarantulas. Oh. One is named Lavinia, and the other one's <laughs> name is Venus. Nice. Is Venus a flycatcher? No, she's a, a butthole um, rose rose rump um, tarantula. She's very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like, when you get your hand even near her cage, she's immediately goes to the top like, I will eat you, human. When you started to say butthole, I was going to be like, surfer? Yeah. <laughs> no, she's crazy. Like, And then um, Lavinia is a, um, a, a curly-haired tarantula, so she's just very pretty. She's like a very pretty pet rock. Ah. 
Yeah. I've 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 got a bunch of uh North American indoor spiders. <laughs> the second fastest spider in the world and it is mating season so they're running all over the shed. So I, I think I, that the tarantulas scare away the other spiders because I haven't yeah. noticed too many other spiders. I mean, maybe they are able to sense each other and they're like, oh, psh, psh, even though they're in a cage. I think it's called spidey sense. Oh, I think look so. Look what you did there. Or, or, or spider. Spider? Yeah, spider. Yeah, spider. Do you, do you live that... in the spider verse? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I do sometimes. <laughs> Anyhow, so this week we are talking about uh, Stark uh, Weathermore. Is that is that right? Stark, Stark Weathermore Expedition. Yes. So, yeah. So um, at the Mountains of Madness, part two, Electric Boogaloo, yeah. as I like to think of it. Uh, and then Dave, Dave, what's your what's your middle part this week? So we're going to talk about. The one true love of Conan, which is, well, okay, arguably maybe one of the true loves. And that <laughs> is Ballette and how she went from one story in by Robert E. Howard but became a comic book sensation in Mexico. Really? Wow. I thought so it was, uh, what's, um, what's her head from... Um... Conan the Barbarian. I thought that was his true love. So Valarian? Valaria, yeah. Or she dies so, though, doesn't she? Yes. So that story though, that's the Ballet story. Oh. They translated. They took it. Well, I'll talk more about it. But yes. Yeah, so they took that story where she comes back from um, uh, Queen of the Black Coast, which it was Ballet's story. Oh. I see. I love Conan. I haven't read much of the Conan books, or my my husband's a big Conan fan. Yeah. Yeah. So he loves loves like he has all the comics. I've never I've honestly never sat down and read them. I should probably do that. I I feel like if like my my impression of Conan is like if you ever like asked him, hey Conan, you know of Crimea, he'd be like, yeah, what what do you want? And I'd be like, hey, do you have a true love? Yes, my true love is battle. I love to kill. I love uh, no no no. Do you do you love any any woman? I love women of the losers of battle. No, no, no. Is there any woman that you've ever felt feelings for? Oh you hurting my brain. Oh yeah. And like that would like break Conan. <laughs> so I will say that at least through Howard and even you know uh, Roy Thomas, he's a little bit more deeper yeah. than, than than that. I know, I know, but I like I like to think of Coden as Coden from those two movies. When I. When we're talking about this, it's like okay. when you said about like Conan's true love, it's like my brain went to like the Schwarzenegger movies and I'm like, oh man. The Lamentation of Women? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's like that That Conan doesn't have a true love. That the sword is his love. Yeah. Punching camels, drinking ale and slicing people in two. 
Anyhow, so yeah, uh, that's what Dave's going to be talking about. And Gretchen, you picked the movie for this week? Yes. My, okay, if you were to go, hey, Gretchen, what is your favorite movie of all time? Exorcist uh-huh. 3. Exorcist 3. Yep. Definitely. My favorite movie. It has so many things that I love in it. And we'll talk about that, of course, later. Uh-oh. I have to rechange everything I wrote down to, uh, wrote down to, to, to talk about for this movie then. Why? Um, oh, I don't know. No. I'm going to be honest about this movie when we talk about it. I've seen this movie a few times, and every time I see it, I'm like, halfway through, I'm like, I've seen this. <laughs> or maybe there's there's a very specific scene involving an old lady on the ceiling that I've like I've seen this. Right on. Anyway, um, so yeah, um, <clears throat> unexpectedly we have mail this week. Mm. Oh, so Jim from Nevada says. Keep it going. Y'all rock. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks, yeah. Jim. Yeah. So if you have anything to say to us, let us know. Jim from Nevada, you're you're super cool. And we'll, you know, if if when the great old ones come, we'll we'll ask them to spare you. Be more like Jim. Yeah. Right. Right to Be the nice. show. Hi, right. Bang. So Besides Bang the Cat. <laughs> All right. We're talking Stark Weathermore, which is based off of uh, Beyond the Mountains of Madness, or uh, which is Beyond the Mountains of Madness, and uh, based off of At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, an expedition to Antarctica to follow up Miskatonic's Peabody expedition. Professor William Dyer of uh, Miskatonic University strongly protested against it, but his tales of a stone city built on an alien race only served to encourage new explorers. All right. So it's basically based off of In the Vaults Beneath by Brian Lumley and At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. Dave, are you familiar with in the vaults beneath by Lumley. No, actually, I'm not. Neither am I. Next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I what I always think now when I think about. Have you ever seen that um, that AMC series, The Horror, and it was about the um, that faded. The ex- What's that? The 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 horror. Uh huh. Yeah, that, it's about the boats. The horror. Yeah. So that um, expedition was so terrible. It makes me think about it whenever I'm trying to visualize uh, like the in the mountains of madness, yeah. Um, yeah. any kind of like Antarctic trip immediately when we talked to, when we were given this topic of Stark weather, more um, expedition, my brain immediately goes to that kind of vessel and oh, yeah. all the problems they had and like trying to bust through the ice of Antarctica. I, I can see it. Um, I don't know if it's the right time period per se. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little early, but if, yeah. if I can, just for a second. Sure. British Navy, I know you're listening, and we just want to talk, you know, friend to friend, okay? British Navy. 
<laughs> what the heck were you thinking that you named the boat the horror? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, I get that it was an icebreaker, but like, is being good, but still. Yeah, I, I, I think there was some, uh, there was a misunderstanding of what they wanted the boat to be called. They wanted it to be called the oar. And they're like, you mean the oar? Yes, the oar. Okay, we'll name it the oar. <laughs> but but the, I definitely see that real event influencing this. Yeah. Right? Also, I think that this is based on a terrible pun. It's the stark weather. Yes. Like stark, like bad weather. But there's more of it. Yes. Yep. Which I've never run this. I've never played this. Um, you can still get the PDF. The hard copy is like, I understand, extremely hard to find. Oh, yeah, yeah. You no, can still no. get the PDF for under 15 bucks. Sure. Um, and it is in, uh, it's fourth edition. Mm -hmm. So if you've got like sixth or seventh edition, all the stats you have to multiply by five. Yes. Uh, which that's a, but my favorite thing has always been at the very end of the book, they have all these different versions of airplanes that have been in Antarctica. Yes. Right. Yeah. I always thought that was cool. And, and the Graf Zeppelin. Yeah. It's very, um, the thing, I mean, I, I, I everything harkens from this story. This is one of those, yeah. I mean, at the mountains of madness, not to, to divert from, um, Starkweather more expedition, but like, no, since no, it is yeah. the, the part two of it, I feel like so many films and so many stories use this as a point of reference because it's, mm -hmm. it has such, it's probably my, it's up there with one of my favorites of the Lovecraft stories. Yeah. I've I've always liked At the Mountains of Madness. It's the most descriptive, it's the most fun, like it's quick venture, like has a lot of elements to it, a lot of mystery. Oh yeah, no, it's it's very pulpy. There's like a beginning, a middle, and an end to it, which yeah. isn't necessarily true with a lot of Lovecraft. Right. And I feel like it can spawn off many stories and especially like stories with like, I love the idea of like an icebreaker trying to get through and then mm -hmm. running a muck of this. And then, you know, it just, that's, I, that's the, I love to hear this kind of Lovecraft. I mean, people often so go to like the quickly, they go to the Necronomicon and Miskatonic university. And like, where mm -hmm. that's where we're all like, you know, sitting around like, like worshiping monsters there, but it's, for me, I love to hear these kinds of stories. Oh, yeah. No, the dark corners of the earth kind of stories, like where right. you're isolated, because where it makes can't... sense that there's horror. You can't exactly. even get a telegraph out from the very bottom of the earth. And there's and... no, um, and we, it's such an unexplored area. Even now, yeah. I feel like we could yeah. easily do another story like that. Yeah. Sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Even though we have scientists all over uh, Antarctica, it's like you could do stories now with like everything melting stuff coming mm -hmm. up. I mean, and I think they have. Right. I mean, yeah. they yeah. Um, uh, all kinds of stories um, underwater, I think, had some elements of that. Yeah. yeah, no, you could definitely do some Lovecraftian eco horror horror for sure. Yes, for sure. And. and 
what one of the things first of all lovecraft almost never revisits his stories yeah but the criticism of the mountains of madness Mm -hmm. kind of drove him out of writing really really took it he took the the reviews really hard okay but it kind of opens itself up to Mm -hmm. a sequel somehow oh yeah one that i like um is charles strauss's uh uh a colder war. Oh, all right. Where the governments find out, oh wait, there are Shagas there, and so the different governments go in and they, to weaponize, capture Shagas and weaponize them. And Byron Craft does that as well. Yeah. And uh, Byron Craft does things with Shagaths in uh, German castles, but uh, I love Byron Craft, fun writer, but he overuses Shagaths in my opinion. Shoggoths on the Shoggoths. <laughs> I my brain constantly goes to that dumb musical. I just can't help it. Oh yeah, uh, Shoggoth on the roof. Yes. Yeah. Tentacles, tentacles. I uh, yeah. No, I can't. I love it. I love it. <laughs> bayaki, bayaki, I can't even. to space. Yeah, I love that musical. But it, it makes sense, though, that somebody would go back eventually. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. If you have a so good bunch is of... Antarctica um, our version of Lovecraft's Alaska? That's Is that how it goes? <laughs> that, like, because Alaska is not exotic, obviously. So is Antarctica our version of that? Well, I think, I mean, it's more known now. Yeah, and, and when Lovecraft was writing it, you know, his descriptions of mountains and the mountains of madness. Yeah. yeah. They aren't there. No. People didn't know that. But at the time, in fact, one of the things that was a theory that he was tempted to put in the story and he took out was that Antarctica was two islands. It was covered Interesting. with Interesting. But huh. yeah, there, there aren't these giant mountains. And so I kind of always had this sort of head cannon. Mm-hmm. That it's like, uh, you know, it's like the plateau of Ling. Yeah. There's the Antarctica that we see and have bases on, but every once in a while, when the stars are light, right, the real Antarctica appears. I like that. Gotcha. That makes I sense. Like that. that makes sense because they do kind of go to a plateau in mm-hmm. that move, uh, that movie, in that story. It's it's this this mountainous region there's no reason to say that it's not part of the plateau of lang in some way yeah. y'all do y'all think that um like lovecraft had ever even like walked up a mountain lovecraft was allergic to the cold oh. he, he, he did walk up hills yes oh well walk up hills well, there's several like yeah, so when he would travel, if he was with friends, he would walk up hills, but not real mountains, probably. I'm going to walk up a hill into the Pine Barrens, my friends. <laughs> Wish me luck. Ooh, I hope the fresh air isn't too cold. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my impression of Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we got Conan and Lovecraft impersonation. Well, you know, you know it. That's how it goes these days. So I will say one thing about the, the mo- I guess you would call it the module or the campaign. Sure. Is that they do realize 
I mean, it's a thick book. I remember seeing it the first time at a at a game store. It's a yeah. thick book, and and they know that realize. And there's a lot of filler. There's I love chaos, but there's always a lot of filler. Yeah, but they realize they can't make the whole thing Antarctica. So there's a lot of other things before you get Antarctica. Yeah, uh, yeah. like adventures in Australia or New Zealand. And, and I've never actually, I've never actually played this particular campaign. Yeah, um, I've I've dated several women who have played this campaign, and they say it's not good to be, uh, like, it doesn't feel comfortable playing the women in this campaign that are pre-written, uh, because of the fact that, uh, like, one of them is treated like a sex object in the newspapers. And it just is like, that's not who I wrote as a character. That's yeah. not who I am as a character. It's like, what is this about? And like, and the keeper of arcane lore is like, well, that's just how the media is portraying you. It's like, and, you know, and they're like, no, my, my character's well-respected. They would never be treated like this in the media. And, you know, it's, there's there's kind of like icky stuff like that with it, um, and just kind of like the icky stuff that comes along with playing like 1930s stuff. If you have a bad GM who isn't going to be cool about people of color or women characters, mm-hmm. which I think is the biggest like pitfall for Call of Cthulhu, is people who take it way too serious with uh, race and gender. Yeah, and, and, and fortunately, yucky in general. Yeah, yeah for, fortunately, I mean, and it definitely comes up, but not in a bad way. How can I say? At least the the keepers that I've always played with, it's been yes, there's a racist, but the racist gets his in the end because yeah, yeah, the racists racist. are the bad guys who are either like part of a cult. Or are the cops that are like trying to go after a cult for the wrong reason and end up being like eaten by a monster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, yeah, a lot. A lot of that's up to your your GM or your keeper. That's 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 how I play Call <laughs> But yeah. Anyhow, Dark Weathermore. It's a uh, start, oh. and there's more weather. Yeah, and I will say one thing. I actually did get a copy of the the, the most printed version. Yeah, because I lost my old PDF. Yeah, and it does seem to be much more, even though it's still not converted over to seventh edition. It's sure. a lot more organized than I remember it. Oh, that's nice because the older ones, um, it's a nice yeah. way they sucked at uh, organizing this stuff for sure. But I mean, it was early RPGs versus like. I don't know. It, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's over 30 years old, I'm sure now. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like comparing uh, 2.5 D&D to uh, 5th edition, you know. Excuse me. Sorry. I'm very sinusy. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'm trying All to right. hold the mic away from me when I do that. Sure. Uh, Stark Weathermore. There's more weather and it's Stark. Anything else we need to say about it? Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. All right. Well, Antarctica, um, smell you later. On to the next part.
just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. In a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. everybody it's dave and uh so we're gonna talk a little bit about one of my favorite fictitious characters and one of his most well one of my favorite supporting characters so not being too um beating around the bush uh well i'm just gonna go out and say it we're gonna talk about conan and the first conan comics but you know what it really was a Conan comic in name only. It really was all about the woman. And this uh, comic that predates the American comics and predates a lot of American publishing about Conan, not Weird Tales, of course, was not in English, but in Spanish. Conan was, of course, created by Robert E. Howard in the, in the 30s. Uh, and even though he attempted and even kind of signed a contract for, never really wrote a Conan book. They were all short stories. Almost all of Robert E. Howard's writings, all that I can name of, were short stories. Um, he kind of, he started Conan uh, basically because he had painted himself into a corner with uh, Cole the Conqueror, liked the idea of a slave who became king, but needed more of a world. And basically, yep, okay. Ta-da! The Conan books are done. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. But when he was finished, he was finished. He went on to other things, which is what Howard often did. 
Now, the stories were combined by Gnome Press in the early 50s, at least some of them. Uh, later on, you know, they published more. And the D&D geek in me wants to pretend like there's these little gnomes with printing presses making Conan books, but probably not what happened. Now, what really, of course, there was the Conan movie, what really brought Conan back into the you know, the public eye was the DeCamp novels with the uh, famous Ferretta covers published by Lancer Nace in the 60s. But before that, before Marvel uh, wrote Conan stories uh, with Roy Thomas, there was a comic in 1952 in Mexico that was based, of course, on the uh, Queen of the Black Coast, which is the Howard story which Bellet first appears in. And it was completely unauthorized. Hey, normally, um, you know, absolutely support a writer's right to copyright. You know, have to... The good angel on Farmer Dave's shoulder says, "Yeah, we should not um, steal writers' you know copyrights." But there's something that that little devil angel on Farmer Dave's shoulder that said, "Well, I might make an exception this time." So this comic was created by a married couple, couple uh, Loa and Victor Rodriguez. And, well, uh, it was basically, if it was done now, and they didn't get money, and it wasn't a comic book, we'd call it fanfic. And, like many fanfic uh, authors, they said, I like this story, but it could use some changes. And what they decided was that the character, Belette, from the Queen of the Black Coast, was way cooler than Conan. And unlike Robert E. Howard, who basically kills her off in his first story, although we'll get into that a little bit more, they said, what if she lived? What if she was cooler? What if she was more badass than Conan? And Conan was basically her little wimp boy. The, and let's tell the story in Spanish. Conan, of course, has black hair. And that's actually very important. And because Robert E. Howard based the character on this mythological version of what he considered his people. And that would be the black Irish. But, you know, the Rodriguez's were, wow, hold my beer. And so they made Conan basically into a Viking with flowing blonde hair. So they called their comic instead of Conan, their comic was the Queen of the Black Coast. And so the thing that was always kind of interesting, even to Howard's way that he described Bellette as sort of this pale woman, who was basically the leader of a crew of what we would call African, although the continent of Africa didn't exist 
at this time, at least story-wise, pirates. And, you know, she definitely... There's less... To me, there's less problems with Howard than Lovecraft in a lot of ways. And... But we do have a, a basically a white leader leading a black military unit, but they were there on their own free will, and she, um, you know, she treated her crew well when she wasn't allowing Conan to slay them. Uh, but that was just a misunderstanding at the beginning of the story, as will happen. Um, but she was always described as this very white, pale person, which didn't really mesh with a person that had been traveling the sea all pretty much all of her life. So when the Rodriguez's made Belief, I would describe her as a Hispanic Athena. She's got sort of this conquistador helmet, uh, sort of half-scale male armor and a skirt, and um, probably sink right down if she fell off a boat. But it's going to be a lot different where she's got more like tight, thin you know, leather armor in later Marvel and Dark Horse books. So she was still very pretty. I think in a lot of ways she was sort of a Hispanic view of beauty. Uh tall, muscle, very Hispanic, dark features, flowing black hair, which, hey, that works. That works for the character. So most of you may know that in the original Howard story, what happens is Conan's on a boat, he gets attacked by pirates, kills part of the crew, and the queen says, hey, dude, you're pretty hot. Why don't you come join me and stop killing my crew? And so they, you know... Uh, decided to do that, um, you know, dot, 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 there may be some stuff, scenes in between, and then they travel for a while, and dot, dot, dot. Howard doesn't tell that part of the story, um, and then they're attacked by this giant muscular angel flying monkey uh, that was probably super intelligent, and Belette is killed, but she comes back and saves Conan as a ghost at the last moment. And that part is taken actually to another Conan character, uh, Valeria, in, in the Conan the movie, but in in the original book it was Belette. Well, in the Spanish comics, Belette doesn't die. She continues on, and she goes on with her bad cell, and Conan sort of becomes, you know, her her hunky, dumb love puppy, falls her around, and she's the brains. I mean, she's always been kind of the brains. And Conan was not an idiot in the books, but, you know, she was kind of the, the brains, and Conan was the, the muscle, but even more on these stories. And they start having these adventures. Now, when Roy Thomas starts bringing in Ballette into the Marvel comics, she's introduced in episode, or issue 58. And she's killed off on issue 100. And in a lot of ways, uh, Roy goes his own way, which I 
actually appreciate. Some of his stories uh, are pretty, you know, word for word or page for page of what Howard wrote, but a lot of times he goes his own way. Um, introducing uh, Red Sonia, who was in a completely non-Conan related story and spelled differently, but that's another story. And so between issue 58 and 100 uh, of the Marvel Con uh, Co original Conan run, she travels with Conan until he is killed. Now, that's actually kind of left open by uh, Howard, who talks about how Bellette and Conan met and what happened when she died, and then he continues traveling. But he you know, basically describes that they were together for several years, you know, being pirates, but he never really says, he never tells those stories. And, and so that was really open for uh, Marvel. And one of the things that was sort of introduced by Marvel and then Dark Horse picked up is that Ballette and Conan knew each other's knew each other prior to when the their the, her ship attacked his ship. Now my Spanish is barely passable. Serious, I got a lot of D's in Spanish in, in high school. I read Spanish better than I speak it, and um, and I can't read enough to really comprehend outside the pictures of the the uh, the Mexican comics but I love the art I love the sort of true four comic color coloring uh, and this sort of completely not American interpretation of the characters that I can see despite the language barriers and unlike Marvel or even Howard himself but that lives on. When the comics did finally disappear in the 60s, you know, she's still going strong. The only other real comic that I can think of where uh, when the main characters kind of hook up and, and you know, this is a Howard story. Howard, I love Howard, but he kind of has this sort of 14-year-old boy view on girls and romance. Um, but, so, you know, Bolette was designed in the Howard story to meet, be impressed, fall in love with Conan, and die. Roy Thomas eh, gives her a little bit more depth, a lot more screen time, but she basically serves the same purpose in 42 comics that Howard had her do in one short story. But the one character that I think of in a comic, when the main character and the female character hooked up, and that was Howard's beginning in the idea of the story. And usually when this happens, and I call it the Scully effect, but this strong, independent female character becomes subordinate to the male character, both in the what's happening in universe, but also narratively. 
so two example or two exceptions to that. One was I say Loreland and uh, and Valerian and Loreland, where she becomes a stronger character as the story progresses, and he becomes less and less important to the story and the narrative. But the other is the Mexican version of Ballette and Conan, where she becomes much more interesting, much more focus of the story. Um, and it's very interesting that both of those were non-English comic book characters. Take, take, with it, take from it what you do. But by all means, I think that she is a great character in all versions, and even though I can't completely read it or it's not available, I love her version in, you know, the the this uh, Mexican comics, and, and I would just like to see more female characters become more empowered, more powerful, more interesting, and more crucial to the story when they're in a relationship as opposed to less. Okay, well, I think we're going to be talking about one of Gretchen's choice for movies today. So let's uh, jump into hey that. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, They've got saxophones, trumpets, drums. They've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host. Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff Victoria Price and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio.
Hey everyone. It's 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 movie time. We're gonna talk about a movie now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Exorcist three. Um part of me is like I I, I, I grew up in a uh Catholic household and a partially Catholic household. And uh so anything that's like kind of churchy and religiously religiously in that manner i have always thought is kind of like hilarious mm. so this movie just comes off as kind of goofy to me sure. but i also it 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 feels like before we get too far into it 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 feels like william peter blatty was trying to make an argento film Hmm. And those are the two things, the two criticisms I have about this movie. So, um, I will say, it, maybe, um, as scary as these movies might be, mm -hmm. the case of Roland Doe. And and this is from a, who, who is the case that this is based on the Exorcist or the Exorcist mm -hmm. based on the Roland Doe case, mm -hmm. and coming from pretty much spiritual agnostic, that kept me up at night. Okay, um, and the reason why it got made into a book and a movie was that the original priest in the the Roland Doe case was very nervous about this, mm -hmm. and so. That he, when he went to his superior and said, this is my first exorcism, he said, write everything down in a journal. Mm -hmm. And at least at the time, and I think even up to now, that's the only sort of, this happened to A, B, B, C, D case where they wrote down everything that's been released by the Catholic Church. Okay. But, uh. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if for me this movie isn't wasn't about the reason why I love it has nothing to do with its being scary per se. Sure. What I love about this movie is that, first of all, the book um, Legion is incredible. Um, okay. I don't know if you've read the book that this is this movie is based off of, no. but it's a really intricate uh, cop story. Because what we're doing is we're picking up 15 years after the death of Damien Karras as he falls down the stairs, right? Okay. And his body um, is taken to the um, to the um, church and being dressed, and then the father that dressed him is gone. And that's kind of where our story is um, oh. in the books and, and where it starts off in the books. And then in the movie – we also see this as well. Like we see the um, people who are affected by the death of Damien Karras, um, George C. Scott being his, like his character being a, a really good friend of his, as well as um, their, the, their father friend. Um, uh, gosh, Ed Flanders, I think. Or, uh, uh -huh. what his name is? Yeah. Or the, I can't remember. Suddenly I'm like, where's the character's name? <laughs> yeah, like I can remember George C. Scott's name. Father Dyer. Scott Wilson. Yeah. There we go. Here we go. Father Dyer. Huh? Yeah, there we go. So yeah, it's um what there's so many beautiful um elements of it. And I, I'm really lucky to own the Scream Factory version, which was 
uh, a re- dual release. It has the theatrical and the director's intention version, oh, nice. which has some of the original footage from the um, VHSs and from the um, like the the reels that they would do for the, like the, the, the daily dailies. reels. What's the that? The dailies. Yeah, the dailies. Thank you. And the the there is definitely a huge tonal difference. In the two films, the exorcism, as a matter of fact, does not exist in the director's intended version. Yes. Um, Jason Miller, the actor who plays Damien um, Karras, unfortunately was a really, really terrible alcoholic. And he had um, what was referred to as wet brain. Yeah. So he wasn't able to fulfill his role as like the entire lead, holding the lead role of um, Damien Karras. And actually, they ended up using... This poor actor didn't ever get not get, didn't get credit for it, but he played Karis in prosthetics. Yeah, sad oh. but true. So uh, he because Damien because um because Jason Miller was so bad off, he couldn't remember his lines or couldn't be able to emote or whatever the case may be. This oh. actor um basically wore a prosthetic face of Damien of of um Jason Miller. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. This is before Back to the Future 2. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so this, like, that's, in because it, he was such a billing character, because people weren't going to come to go see this, like, cop film, essentially, yeah. without um, a little bit of element. People were like, Brad Dwarf. And what's really interesting is, remember how, like, um, in the, I don't, I, I don't, in the, um, the theatrical version, they're, they have these references to photographs and whatnot, well, they switched those in the in the director's version. Originally, I guess they had um, pictures of Brad Dorf uh, portraying Damien Karras as he was in like in pictures at the seminary and whatnot. Okay. Okay. So I thought that was really cool. It's a there's so many beautiful things to it, like the um, the Long's Hall scenes. Those are actually optical illusions yeah. created. Ooh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like uh, there's the 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 handcrafted um, weapon that kills um, Amy Keating, where he's like, "Good night, Amy." Like the 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 old person wrapped in all the roses, like like uh, comes up behind her. Uh huh. Yeah. Famous. Yeah. yeah so it's that. like I get that it's it's silly. I mean, obviously, I didn't come from that kind of a religious background, but I I I find like there's such a beautiful elements and also really silly ones like the opening where in the theatrical opening there was that scene where the at the very beginning when the doors open and all the like papers fly and then Mm -hmm. jesus's statue is crying blood or something like that i think that's really silly but like in the director version unfortunately it just has that long monologue or fortunately but we never got to see this was this long monologue about having dreams of roses and falling down a flight of stairs. We get a fraction of that later on in the director in the theatrical version. So I would almost encourage people that if you're going to see this film, you should see both now, because now that I've like seen both, I'm like, damn, I didn't realize how different tonally. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, like I'm uh, at odds as to which one I love more. I think I just love them both equally. It's, I'm nodding along, realizing <laughs> no one can see me because I've, I, I, I recognize that I've seen both versions of this film the, several yeah. times. Yeah. I've only seen the theatrical. Yeah, I had never seen the um, director director's version until the Shout Factory release. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. that was like what last year? Yeah. Yeah, the 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 other one had been floating around on Pirate Bay. Like both both versions have been floating around on Pirate Bay for at least 13, 14 years that I know. Oh, weird. I had no idea. I'd never heard about it. I mean, seriously. Yeah. That's cool though. I mean, it's a there there's like so many good scenes, y'all. Like just Oh yeah. So many. Like no. these crazy little I love like the the double L thing, the Gemini killer story is so cool. Um, Brad Dwarf's ama amazing rants. Amazing. Correct. Definitely correct. I, 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 they're, they literally give me chills when he is like, oh, was I raving? You know, like you're like, oh. That, and, and, and these feel like almost Giallo films. It's like almost there. It's like there um, feels like there could almost be like there's so much Catholic stuff. It feels like it's so close, but it, there, there just needs to be like that bright red blood. You know, we, we, we need to see one, someone at least get decapitated. Um, we don't and, and see I think, it. I think it's an no. advantage that it, when it doesn't show, honestly. Oh Agreed. yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was, I was, I was going to say, it's like, it's almost a giallo film. It's, almost an Argento film. It's like for years before I saw this film, I assumed that the cloaked figure or the, the, the figure in robes, uh, rags, cloths, whatever, following a nurse was an Argento film. Like I, I, for some reason, I assumed it was probably from phenomenon cause I hadn't seen it yet, mm. but I didn't know it was from this. And then I saw this and I was like, well, it's not from Phenomenon. And then I saw yeah. Phenomenon and I was like, that could have been in Phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think, though, didn't it come out within a year of both Seven and Silence of the Lambs? I think, um, yeah, it was 1990, I think. Or something yeah. Like yeah. And, and so I think the studio did a disservice. Yeah, I agree. That, that yes. If it was kept as Legion, and I'm, I mean, you've got the what is arguably one of the most successful movies ever made, so you got to tie it in. Yeah. But if they had done it se more separately as a psychological horror, agreed. It, it could have been marketed a lot more and been like seven or, or I mean, I and again, it would be hard <coughs> to match, you know the success of silence and a lamb but yeah it but, just it's, it has such a different um vibe but it's so sad that like you said it, that it um the studios kind of dropped the ball on this one yeah they they rewrote the last third of the movie yeah so the that, whole exorcism it, aspect like father yeah. morning does not exist like yes i appreciate um the monologue that we get from the father morning story because like the i believe in pain and cruelty and infidelity oh, i believe yeah. in suffering and yeah. you know whatever like uh, i all that is is fascinating it's a great like there's a skinny puppy song that uses that i really love mm -hmm. uh, but this i believe in yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just not um i just now having seen the other one i'm kind of like damn it's a uh, would have been more powerful not to have that because in the other, in the theatrical or in the director's release, there is a moment where he's, 
he says it's it ends so abruptly. He looks to his friend and he goes when Karis looks to his friend and goes, Kill me now. Yeah. And that's where we end the movie. There's no um exorcism and it's just kind of tragic and everybody you lose you've lost all these people. Yeah. And Scott Wilson's character was way more interesting in the book, just saying. Yeah. Okay. It was like the cool psychiatrist that was obsessed with EVPs and things like that. It was a really cool character. Yeah. I liked him in the movie, but his, I feel like he, they kind of could have like given him a better, like a little bit more because he yeah. was such an interesting character in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What did you guys think? Any like um, particular things that kind of like jump out at you? Uh, I I have to say that one scene, um, the whole scissors, the the whole clippers that like yeah. physically can't exist. Um, yeah, those are fabricated. Those are amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are awesome, and I love that. It reminds me of the Japanese uh, horror game Clockwork. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, but I mean, I know that's based off a of phenomenon. And I feel like this movie and Phenomenon, if you, like, smash them together, would be the perfect horror movie. Hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, I, I've, As I keep saying, I feel like this is, like, an Argento movie that's just kind of, like, missing the sexiness. I'm, I'm so, happy with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I don't think this movie needs sexiness. That's... One thing that's, I mean, like if this was an Argento movie, there would be like the nurses would be sexier or. Yeah. Yeah. The nurse wasn't sexy. Um, <laughs> Amy Keating. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, but they would have been more like sexualized is what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, Everyone would have been a little bit more sexualized, male, female, whatnot. Or maybe that's just Italian actors. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would say George C. Scott. I mean, anything, yeah. anything George C. Scott. And, I and, love and George C. Scott. He, he gets into the role. Yes, yeah, he no. does. Two, two of my favorite things about this movie are George C. Scott and Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf chews the scenery. George C. Scott kicks it down yeah. and grumbles at it. It's like George C. Scott is just such a bitter crabby bitch all the time and i love it i love his um when he talks about the carp that's swimming back and forth where mm. you see that you're very close to me father and i yeah. haven't had a bath in three days <laughs> and you're like it's it's just th like those little things that i mean not to quote brad dwarf's character by saying the little things it's the little things it is sure. the little things it in is the film that are things. very present and very um, amazing and epic like his prophetic dream where he's in the um in heaven's gates waiting the waiting area before heaven yeah. that dream sequence incredible yeah. the idea that you can use succinylcholine to um to paralyze a person while you put a a, a drain in their fina cava and like drain all the blood out of their body yeah <laughs> so funny like i had a birthday party um during um during the during the when most of the lockdown was happening to 2021 um uh -huh. that my friend threw me uh that was exorcist three themed oh cool. and we had like little juice um that were in the cups 
<laughs> like red juice. And she had made like this tea stand that was um, the confessional. There's a there's some stills from this that never got used in either film that were when the the priest was murdered in the confessional. Uh-huh. He's holding his head in his lap. And oh. they never show that, but there's stills of it. You can see the stills online there. And she used those as a tea that was like, do you need um, to keep your head on? Do you need some tea? Oh. Nice. So, but yeah, I there was have, a, sorry, go ahead, David. Oh, no, I have two sort of obscure things I like on that. Yeah. Angel Fabio. Yes, right. Angel oh, Fabio. yeah. And super young Samuel Jackson. Right. Yes. Because, I mean, this movie came out, what, 1990, right? Yeah. 1990, yeah. I was 14 when this movie came out. Good gravy. So it was one of those developmental, like, like films that kind of stuck in my brain, I think, that, and that's why I love it so much. And it's just the imagery is beautiful. The scenes are shot beautifully. I love me a good long, like, long view shot. I love those. So, yeah, I, I the cinematography is great. Isn't yeah. it, though? I first saw this on cable when I was like 15 or 16 when I was in high school. And I remember just being like, wait a minute, this is The Exorcist? This is The Exorcist? Where's like, where's like anyone from The Exorcist? And I'm like, is this like Halloween 3? (laughs) So, So I genuinely avoid movies that have three in the title. Yeah. So I have a question, and we can cut this part out, but this part that completely confuses me. And yeah. Brett, how does Twinkle Twinkle Little uh, Killer Kane fit into this? Uh, so the in the book, the character that is the the um, what's his name? The, the you... astronaut. What's that? Wasn't there an astronaut? Or, or am I completely throwing? You're thinking off? of the ninth configuration. Yeah, but the, wasn't the book Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane is what the ninth configuration is based on? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Is an astronaut? Yeah, you're Scott gonna, Wilson actually plays that character, the astronaut. You're gonna and... die up there. <laughs> and, and, and I haven't seen that. I haven't seen the ninth configuration. But oh, I was getting confused tough. because I guess Twinkle Twinkle Killer Twain was written before The Exorcist? Okay. Yes. Okay. So. From my understanding, and then I think there was, and if I remember hearing, proper, or if I remember reading properly, there was um, something to do with the um, Gemini Killer's um, other name was something like that. Yeah. Okay. Something so, kind of in that vein, I think. But kind of, kind Scott of Wilson. Yeah, oh, sorry. sorry. Go for it. Um, Scott Wilson oddly enough, who was also in Blatterly's other film, uh, or Blatty's other film, um, The Ninth Configuration, was the guy who played the, uh, what's it called? Played the psychiatrist in this movie. Okay. So how does The Ninth Configuration figure into this movie? Is it just like a lot of the same cast, or is it somehow, Um, is it spiritually connected? Is it? No, no, it's about vets that are in an insane asylum and some bad things happen. Gotcha. Okay. I I would I'd be hard pressed to recommend that film has a very intense um, rape Mm. scene in it. Oh, okay. 
um, like a, a facial rape <laughs> scene Yikes. for uh, Scott Wilson's character. So just saying, it's a pretty intense scene um, that a lot of people are like, Whoa. yeah. And um, but other than that, it, I've the movie is very interesting and it is very um, blatty, like full on directing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question I had, mm-hmm. or the the statement I was going to make, is I guess the thing that kind of connects the beginning part and the end part is two things that the originals were better. What do you mean? At the Mountains of Madness is better than Beyond the Mountains of Madness. And The Exorcist is far better than The Exorcist 3, in my opinion. But I think they're just different. They're, oh no no they're totally different movies but it's it's like it's it's like more 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 people want like the 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 uh horror versus the cop horror oh man what is this movie considered it's a it's a psychological horror film it's a psychological horror but people did not go into this expecting a psychological horror. No, no. They're they were expecting, expecting like possession and things like that, which heads. is sad, but that's why they wanted to call it Legion, but unfortunately yeah. nope. Studios yeah. were like, no, nah, this needs to be an Exorcist 3. We can't really call it the Exorcist 2 because there was already one of those. Yikes. Yes. It was just terrible. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The Exorcist is a great movie. I mean, nobody attacked that. No. no. But I saying, you know, comparing it's like comparing Alien and Aliens. Yeah. Yeah. It, just it, it, it's such a different genre change. Yeah. Not, they got to be taken, even though they're related. Mm-hmm. They got to be taken on their own merit. Yeah. I agree, and that's why I, I would say that's why if anyone asks me what's your favorite film, and I will always say The Exorcist Three because on its own, I think it's a standout film on its own. That has a, it's like a, they're spiritually, it's the exorcist just based on the fact that there's these characters. But I would wholly recommend, it's not the most perfect version, but if people see the um, director's intended version on um, Shop Factory, Mm -hmm. not Scream Factory, excuse me, that is, um, it's very satisfying. The story makes more sense. Mm. Yeah. And David, if you want to borrow it, I'll totally loan it to you when I see you next. <laughs> okay. Um, this, this, like, people saying Exorcist 3 is their favorite movie totally reminds me of my ex-wife, who has a background in theater arts, in uh, art history, and philosophy. That's That's, like, her core three. And if anyone asks her what her favorite movie is, she's like, oh. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, it's the perfect film. And she can go through and say why Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is this, like, amazing film that, like, is, is like, anyway. Um, and, like, I think my, my, my favorite film of all time is Duck Soup by the Marx Brothers. I mean, it's, like, um, I, I get it when people say, what's your favorite film of all time? And you don't say something that's on like a list that people are like, 
wait a minute. That's not something that I expect you to say, but yeah. And, and it's always going to be subjective, but sure. I have to admit, I avoided this movie, and this is, I saw it for the first time for this because of number three. Yay! Uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I think that, yeah, the, I don't, I'm trying to think of any movie that I, before this, that I enjoyed somewhat Alien 3, but, you know, any movie with three at the end that I've liked and there's some twos out there. I mean, like Halloween three is I on its own is a really good film. And I mean, not really good film, but an entertaining yeah. film. Sure. Uh, Psycho two is a completely underrated sequel, which is it's incredible. Yes. So I'm a I'm a sequel kind of I'm a fan of sequels at times. I mean, I feel like a lot of times like films get shuffled into the sequel genre yeah, a sequel title and not, and then actually just be like spiritual six sequels, not really like, you know. I, w- I was burned by Jaws 3. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was burned by Jaws 3. Some are slightly better than Jaws 4, but yeah. Word. Summer Camp 3, there's one. Lethal Weapon 3, there's one. <laughs> No, there's there's some out there. Uh, Ninja Turtles three, not a good example. No. The only Fast and the Furious movie that I've ever seen is two. <laughs> For two words, Devin Aoki. Nice. I've only I think I've seen the Tokyo Drift one because I was in Disneyland and saw the like the oh. the all the things that they had or or Universal Studios or something like that. Universal Studios, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen any of them, and it's mostly because of the fact that I don't know anyone who wants to watch them with me. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, not my spouse was like, oh, you're watching Exorcist 3 again? And I was like, yep. <laughs> I have to. It's part of my job. No, I really, but I love this movie. I literally watch this movie at least four times a year because it is one of my favorites. That's, for me, that's Dune. Uh, David Lynch's Dune. Nice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Firewalk with me. And I will watch Night of the Living Dead just because I'll, something will remind me of it. And I'm like, well, I gotta commit at least an hour and a half to go see watch Night of the Living Dead. It's or if it's like what pl- they call comfort movies, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Like this one for me is like that. I get that. I totally get that. Like I could see. Oh. Uh, folding laundry and watching this movie for sure. Yeah. Did you see that Joker um, statue though? Yes. That's I've always wondered about that. I don't know if it's actually the Joker, but it sure as frick looks like the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. That was no. also a really scary scene too, by the way. Like the paper lifting, and they're talking about um, Father Morning, and then the paper starts shuffling and you hear like um, soft sobbing uh-huh. and they look over and the paper drops down. I thought that was so spooky. There are the creepy factor is. Yes. Is, is, there, it, there are definitely spooky, creepy things in this movie. I am definitely going to say that for sure. Good. Yeah. And Brad Dorf and George C. Scott are amazing in this. 
Um, Brad Dorf's hair is kind of crazy, but he's I mean, supposed to be crazy. Right. He is the Gemini killer. He lives. He breathes. Yeah. I'm, I'm just surprised he doesn't have his mentat eyebrows, considering how big his hair is. He practically does. <laughs> and then also to me, I find it really interesting that like uh, Brad Dorf's such a great actor, like that he, I mean, he can scream rage yes. and his eyes will like tear up and carry down. And um, Chucky also scream rages, but it's, it sounds so much different than this character. I, I wish, I'm always impressed by his range. Yeah. No, even though I, he's still playing very like similar, like that yelling voice. Yes, I I love Brad Dorf as a character actor, as a voice yeah. actor. He's 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 really for me. He's really up there in like uh, character actors. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And 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 no, he really shined in this movie. I feel and George C. Scott. I mean, I love George C. Scott. Whether he's an angry man of twelve or whether or not he's shouting at you know trying to tell someone to shoot a pepsi machine or whatnot uh you know it's 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 not in the file exactly there's no fighting in the war room (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and he and he definitely um he he gave he gave his all i mean oh yeah 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 i when i when I, when I was a kid, there was a show called Mr. President on Fox that had George C. Scott and Madeline Kahn. And I knew Madeline Kahn from um, uh, the Mel Brooks film uh, uh, oh, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. And I knew George C. Scott from, of course, uh, Dr. Strangelove. And I thought it was amazing that they were in this show together that was not very funny. <laughs> it was it was early Fox, like the Simpsons hadn't even shown on yeah. it yet. But yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, and then and, you know, people are like, this is not a good example of George C. Scott or Madeline Kahn. Let me show you Blazing Saddles. Let me show you 12 Angry Men. Um, I was babysitted a lot with by VHS, by the way. Yeah. And, and I <laughs> I think a lot of people downplay Patton is a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, George C. Scott is no slouch. And he certainly, he treated this movie like any other movie. Um, He didn't like go, oh, this is Exorcist 3, whatever, bleh. He's like, I'm George C. Scott. I'm going to act the fuck out of this movie. But yeah. And you're going to like it. Yes. I sure do. I do too. Well, I'm I am glad that I saw it because I, I had not seen it before getting ready for this. I'm so glad you saw it for the first time too. I kind of wish I'm kind of jealous because I I would love to see I would I would have loved to see your reactions to it. I I see it every about five, ten years and forget that I've seen it until, like, the uh, Clippers come out, and I'm like, oh, I know this movie. And, yeah, my favorite scene is the uh, ragged figure walking behind the nurse. Oh, yeah. 
And I feel like this movie had inspired a lot of other things, video games. Like the nurse outfits are the same nurse outfits in uh, Silent Hill. Yeah. Oh, and the, I mean, that was just like nurse outfits in the early 90s were like that. It's yeah. holding, they're kind of harking back to like the 70s and the 50s where um, nurses wore dresses and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But mainly they wore them in like those kind of like Catholic hospitals, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but there's like a character in Silent Hill who wears like the red sweater outfit. Oh, and then really? there's like the nurses in like the 50s outfits that are all like herky jerky with Oh, no yeah, faces. totally. But there's like a nurse who has like the red sweater and yeah. Um anyway. Uh also um this this film um I, I kind of want to dismiss it because I've seen it so many times and I'm like, oh yeah, it's that exorcist movie that like, if it just tried a little bit harder, could have been an Italian horror movie. But I don't know, talking to you about it, Gretchen, and hearing how you think about it mm-hmm. makes me want to watch it again with new eyes and not just be so like, oh, this one again. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could uh, give a fresh opinion. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's a 80s, 90s horror film without Sam Neill. I don't care. <laughs> Which makes me think, Jurassic Park is a horror film, right? And the book was. Yeah. The is that why was, Sam Neill's in I it? I think it was a scary movie. Is that why Sam Neill's in it? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's like Laura Dern's been in like uh Lynchian horror films for sure. It's like everyone who's a main character has been in kind of like horror movies of some sort, whether it be The Fly, whether it be Wild at Heart, which is kind of like a on the road horror movie, Willem Dafoe, thank you. Uh, and, and like, oh, geez, everything that, uh, 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 what's his face, uh, who I first started talking about, uh, Sam Neill, like, I don't know, totally unrelated to this, but, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like you have three people who are in different types of non-conventional horror movies in a non-conventional horror movie that's supposed to feel like a family movie that has dinosaurs, but it's it's not. It's it's a weird corporate horror movie. I don't know. I don't know. Just a thought in my head. Oh, I'm okay. I'm sweating so bad. <laughs> I feel like we've said a, a quite a I bit. Think we, I think we've covered it. Unless Gretchen, yeah. is there anything you want to sort of finish up on it, or? Um, no, just I mean honestly, that people definitely give this a chance, give it a watch. Um, yeah. One reviewer wrote this as Blatty. Blatty is the um, David Lynch's good twin. <laughs> okay. I totally so I get that. I totally to understand that. that. Yeah. So what are we talking about next week? Next week is let me find my phone i know it's it follows is the movie oh i have to watch that 
Have you guys seen that? I haven't seen that at <gasps> all. Yay! David, have you seen it? I've I'm seen asked. parts of it. I've got to sit down and watch the whole thing. Oh, I'm so excited for you guys. are going to love it. It's definitely Lovecraftian in vibe. Wow, this is the last episode of uh, season 17, FYI. Oh, Ooh, wow. The Starry Wisdom Cult, and Ooh. it follows. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Yep. Yeah. All right. I'm excited to uh, hear about STDs, the horror movie. So, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, isn't, isn't I mean, that sure. what it follows? I, I, is? It's, it, I, I, I got that it was a, well, we'll talk about it, but what I got out of it was actually a lot deeper. Okay. Agreed. Agreed. All right. I mean, um, I, I, yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet, so. Yes, once you see it, then you can say for sure. You're all right. All yeah. right. All right. Well, talk to you all soon. Dave, send me uh, send me this audio when you get a chance. This is a really good episode. Yeah. And listeners, and, we'll talk to you next time. And yeah. again, thank you, Jim. Jim? Yeah. No. Uh, anyone out there, you have questions, you have answers. You have cool, fun to, things to say. You want to draw pictures of us. That's cool. Oh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't draw a picture of me. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. And stay squiggly and keep it weird. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, I'll episode. get this right over to you, and I'll get that bullet part out. Uh, Either first thing tomorrow or tonight. Oh, cool. Awesome.